Colossians chapter 3. I'd like to invite you to join me in that chapter, in that book. Colossians chapter 3, an amazing passage for us to be able to examine and to be able to look at. Um, Here's what's been taking place. We already know. Here's Paul, never been there before, but he's writing this letter, all right? Um, And as he is writing this letter, he knows that the people who first came to faith because of Epaphras and the ministry that he had there, he knows that they've gotten kind of distracted, and so he's calling them back to their faith. He's calling them back and saying, make sure that you're putting on Christ at all times. Make sure that you're widening your spiritual stance, right? Make sure that you're doing this because when you start to lose the core of really the gospel, right? When you you start to lose sight of who Christ is, what he's done, that that is enough. You don't have to add. You shouldn't ever add anything to Jesus Christ. When you start to do that, you actually weaken the truth. And so they had narrowed their stance, and he's saying, no, widen it, get strong in your faith once again. And last week, what we were examining in in Colossians chapter 3, uh, 5 through 11, we were talking about the things that they need to put to death. Verse 1 says that if then you have been raised with Christ, so if you've been raised with Christ, if you have faith in who he is, then make sure that you put to death, that you take off anything that is not of him. So he goes through things like sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. He goes through different things and anger and malice and bitterness. He he keeps going. And he's letting them know, listen, if you've really been raised with Christ, you you don't want to not do these things just because there's a set of rules. You want to not do them because you know that they separate you from his beauty and from what he's done for you. So you, you desire to do that. You desire to take those things off every single chance that you get. And then as he jumps into this part of the passage in verse 12, he says, so, you know, verse 5 is put to death, therefore, take off, therefore, all these earthly things, these things that separate you from me. And so in verse 12, he jumps in and says, and so now I want you to put on, then, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, I want you to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. I want you to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, I want you to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ... Put on peace. I want the peace of Christ to rule your life. To rule in your hearts. To to which indeed you are called in one body. And I want you to be thankful. Put on thankfulness. I want you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's what he's doing. He's like, hey, listen, if you've been raised in Christ, if you have faith in who Christ is, I now, I want you to take off all of these things. I want you to put to death all these things that 
aren't representative, aren't reflective of who Christ is. And if you've really absorbed what it is to have faith in Christ, now you want to put on all of these things. This is how you want to dress yourself. Right? This is, you want to wake up in the morning and you want to put these things on because honestly some of us wake up and we're just always angry and bitter and we're calloused and we have hard hearts and, and, and Christ is, is saying for us in his word, no, I want more for you. You don't even recognize that you're being held captive. Once That's chapter 2 of Colossians. He says, and don't be held captive by, by human tradition and, and by all these different things in your life that really keep you from living the freedom that I've designed for you. And so he's letting them know, hey, let's start putting on as God's chosen ones all of these wonderful things. In a way, this is Paul's final plea. For us to live a holy life because a holy life is a glorious life. To live a holy life, to live a life that's pleasing to God. And he's asking us to put on the clothes of grace provided by God. These are all aspects of God's marvelous, overwhelming grace. That you don't have to live in such a way anymore. That you can be set free from these things and that you can, you can put these clothes on. And as you start looking at this passage, in verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. He, he starts, and this is one of the things that we have to understand, um, is that when God looks at you, this is what God says. When God looks at you, he says, you're mine. I've chosen you. You're mine. I love you. Like that, if, if you've been raised in Christ, chapter 3, verse 1, is followed up with verse 12 saying, hey, don't forget this. God has chosen you. God has made you in his image. Like that's not a message. And the more times we hear it, right? I, I told my daughter Ashley uh, the other day, I was like, Ashley, you're just, you know you're adorable. And she just looked at me and she goes, Dad, you tell me every day. I said, fine, I'm never telling you again. You're a horrible person. And I didn't really say that horrible person part. But she just looked at him, she goes, you tell me every day. I know, Dad. Well, sometimes when you say things repetitiously, anything whatsoever, you, you stop to, to recognize the significance of it. Guys, God has chosen you. Don't let that fly past you and not absorb the truth of what that means for your life, the beauty of what that is for your life. You don't have to live as a curmudgeon. You didn't expect that one to come, did you? I'm not even sure what that means, except for you don't have to live as, as this person who's just bitter toward the world and, and just always upset and always angry. You don't have to. No matter what has happened in your life, you've been chosen by God. And that's a, a beautiful message for us to be able to re receive. Don't let that fly by because that's where he's beginning. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, remember you're loved by God. I want you to put on some of these clothes of the grace of God. The grace of God. Why? Because you 
are his. God's love has set us apart. And really, that even, that's really what it means to be holy, by the way, meaning that you've been set apart because of what you've encountered with God, with Christ. You've now been set apart, and now you're to live lives that are holy. Holiness, a simple way of thinking of holiness is living a life reflective of Christ, not yourself. And so you're, you're striving for that. Like that's your greatest desire, your greatest yearning in life, is to live a life that's reflective of who he is. And so you're putting on holiness and compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, right? You're, really, you're willing to tolerate people who have done you wrong and, and to pray for them rather than to hold a grudge against them. That's what we're supposed to be wearing. Listen, the reason so many people struggle with those who, who say they go to church and believe is because so many people who are going to church today, they're running around with either no clothes on or the wrong clothes. He tells us to put on, right, put on kindness, to put on compassion and humility and meekness and patience. I mean, so few people today are running around with those types of clothes on. And so they're looking at people and going, well, I don't know if I really want what they're talking about because they're still wearing their old clothes. They say now they profess in Christ, but they're still wearing the anger. They're still wearing the hostility. They're still wearing the impurity and the evil desire and the sexual immorality and the idolatry. They're still wearing all of these different things. It tells them in verse 8, but they're, they're still wearing the anger and the, the wrath and the malice and the slander and the obscene talk from their mouth, they're still lying to each other. They're still wearing the old clothes, so I don't see anything different. And so many times people are looking at people who claim to know Christ, and they're going, man, I don't want to wear what they have on. Or they just walk around naked because, seriously, because we're not wearing what Christ has intended for us to wear. And I want to walk through just a, a few of these that really stand out to me. Because as he's walking through this passage, he's like, listen, because you've embraced the passion of God, the grace of God, because of that, and that you know that you're loved by him, your, your greatest desire, once again, is to put on the compassion, the compassionate hearts, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the patience. You're going to put up with others even when you just want to knock them out. That's what it says in verse 13. You're going to bear with one another, even when they have a complaint against you. And then you know what you're going to do? You're going to forgive each other. Let me tackle that real quick. I could preach for weeks and weeks on forgiveness. One, because of the beauty of what we have received, but also the struggle that we have in forgiving others. He tells us that we need to forgive as God has forgiven. Um, this is something I make sure people know all the time. But we need to be reminded that forgiveness does not require a confession. I'm talking about between you and someone else. I'm talking about between you and someone else. Right? How many times have you heard someone say, well, I'll forgive them when they apologize? They haven't, they haven't said, I'm sorry yet. I mean, this is a lesson I'm always teaching with my kids. Right? He took my sucker. I'm upset. Right? It starts at a very early age. 
And three hours later, why are you upset now? He took my sucker. We're still at this. He didn't say, I'm sorry. So here comes a sibling. I'm sorry. You don't mean it. Guys, if you don't understand the greatness of the forgiveness that God has given to you, you will never understand wanting to give it to someone else. And one of the greatest witnesses we have in the world is to forgive others when they have wronged you, even when they have not asked for forgiveness. God says, I forgive you. Will you accept that forgiveness by confessing and repenting of your sin? It's between you and God. God's forgiveness, it initiates a call to repentance. That it tells us that we need to forgive others in order to be forgiven. Matthew 7, 2, for in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Colossians 3, 13, the passage we're in right now, it says bear with each other, right? It tells us very clearly, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Forgiveness is something that we struggle so much with, but we must offer to other people. If you are to receive it yourself, if you are to, to process what it really means for your life, forgiveness of your own sin means that you can have a freedom and a beauty of life that you could not have apart from what Christ has done for you. And some of you today, maybe that's the challenge is you're going, wait a second, he's telling me to put on forgiveness and I, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to my family. You don't know how much money they cost me. And some of us need to process what it is to put on that forgiveness. He continues and he says, so you must also forgive. And in verse 14, he says, and above all these, I need you to put on love. So we're not only put on forgiveness, but if you're putting on forgiveness, you have to put on love because that's the root of all of it, the love of God. God is love. Christ demonstrated the Lord's love for us by giving his life, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so now we even have to put on love. And here's, here's a very simple definition of biblical love. Because we all know that we've changed the way we think about love and we make it very conditional. Well, as long as they treat me well, right? There is, there is no for the believer, well, I used to love them. You may love someone differently, but the, the love part, you can't remove it from the life of a believer. Because then, 
Here's biblical love. It's a relentless commitment of the lover to the one loved, regardless of their response. Maybe you've looked at someone before and you've said, they're not loving me back. If you're dating someone, I would say take a hint sooner rather than later. Right? But biblical love is this commitment of the lover to the one loved. Isn't that what God did for us, regardless of how many times we messed up? And we know there, had to be, there has to be some way of paying the penalty for our sin. Otherwise, how we live life really does not matter. We need to process that. How we live life does not matter if we don't believe that something has to pay the consequence, pay the debt for the sin that we have in life. If there's nothing that has to do that, then we can live however we want, however we desire personally to live life. And so here's this biblical love, this relentless commitment of the lover to the one loved, regardless of their response. He's saying, this is what I want for you. So we are to put on forgiveness, we're to put on love, but also we're to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The peace of Christ is, in Philippians, uh, we know that it talks about the peace that surpasses understanding. It surpasses our own logic. It surpasses what the world thinks it should mean. Peace is when you know God is asking of something And yet you're willing to do it even though maybe it doesn't make complete sense. But God has spoken to you and you know it's what you have to do. It's the peace of Christ. He's saying, I want you to put on forgiveness that is radical. I want you to put on love that is radical even when others don't love you back. I want you to put on the peace of Christ and allow yourself to to rest in that, to let it soak into your heart. I want you to put on thankfulness, he says gratitude that regardless of the persecution that you're walking through in life regardless of the hardship that you're walking through you're still going to give God thanks for what he's done and then he says that I want you to put on listen to this I want to make sure that you put the word of Christ on. I want you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To dwell in you doesn't mean that you know about something. It means that you allow it to to soak in so deeply. You allow it to penetrate any barriers. You allow it to get in every single crevice, every single crack that you can. And you allow yourself now to, to let it dwell so richly in your life. That it transforms you. Like this passage is speaking about the process of transformation in your life when you really acknowledge who he is and you keep putting on these clothes. And I understand sometimes it's hard to put all of these clothes on at one time, but you just want to keep putting them on every single day. I was thinking about just what we put on, and and how we even process putting on the grace of God, the clothes that he desires for us to wear. Right, you get a a blizzard. We live here in Michigan. You get a blizzard, and and so what do you do? Your kids go, let's go play outside. 
and um, you tell them to go back to sleep. And then when they wake back up, they say, let's go play outside. And they're like, fine, let's go. And so what do you do? They, they put on the entire jumpsuit, and they put on the big jacket on top of the jumpsuit, and then they put on two pairs of gloves, and then you recognize, oh, I didn't zip up first or put my hat on, so then they have to take off the gloves. Anybody been here before? Um, and so then they put the hat on, and they put... Um, they zip everything up, then they put the gloves back on once again, and then they recognize they didn't tie their shoes, so they have to take the gloves off again, and they put the shoes on, they keep going, and finally, they are walking around like this, you know what I'm talking about, and they're like, I can't get my hands together, and we're like, just, so what, go play, have fun, and they've dressed for the storm, they've dressed what's to come. And sometimes I think that as believers, because we don't understand the transformation that Christ has for us, we think that if we put on all of his clothes, the storm's not supposed to come. No, we put on the clothes of Christ because we know the storm is coming, and we can still live in Christ and be protected from the storm. I'm amazed at how many people get upset with God because the storm has come, and yet he's given us all the clothes to wear in the midst of the storm. And he's saying, no, what I want for you is I want you to begin dressing accordingly. I want you to start dressing with the grace of God by putting all of these things on to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts that means I want you to come together and I want you to sing songs and 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 worship him and give thanksgiving where it is just pouring out of your life you can't stop it it's just pouring out of your life no matter what you've made a decision in life and as a result of trusting in Christ all of a sudden everything else looks different and you can't stop that from pouring into your life I remember I lived in Waycross Georgia and we had um, this little pond in front of our house I was in middle school my brother and I were in this little john boat that we had right and so we'd always take the john boat out we go swimming and stuff like that after we splash around a lot because we had alligators and stuff in there and so um, I remember one time he had a little rifle with him and he goes hey do you think it'd penetrate the boat As I'm telling this story, I just recognize I really shouldn't have told this story. Um, I go, it's pretty thick. (laughs) You're going to think so much less of me than you already do. (laughs) He goes, I'm going to give it a try. It penetrated the bottom of the boat. Water starts coming in. He's like, put your thumb on it. (laughs) I mean, it's bigger than my thumb. And the water kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. (laughs) We jumped out and we pulled the boat as quick as we could uh, to the shore and we didn't make it quite all the way. Later that day, my father drove home and he says, where's the boat? (laughs) I don't know. We couldn't stop it. The water was coming. If you've really come to a place in your life of relinquishing who you are to acknowledge Christ, that you have been raised with Christ, you cannot stop 
the love and the grace of God pouring into your life where you are yearning to put on his clothes of grace. You can't stop it. If you have no desire to put on what Christ has given to you for others, then you don't comprehend what God has done for you. You can't stop the flood of love and warmth and compassion and kindness that is coming into your life. You can try to all you want, but you can't do it. So he says, come together singing and worshiping. I was watching a PBS the other day. There's a great, this was several, actually a few months ago, but there's a great uh, show on, on, on PBS. For some of you younger people, that's public TV. Um, and uh, it talked about, the, I think the name of it, you can look it up, I think the name of it was From Jesus to Christ. From Jesus to Christ. Maybe some of you uh, watched it as well. In that show, it was talking about a guy, uh, Pliny the Younger. It's a great story. I hope you already know this story. It's, it's phenomenal. Pliny the Younger, P-L-I-N-Y. You can go look it up. Pliny the Younger. Um, Pliny the Younger, he was the governor of what is modern-day Turkey. He was governor, I think, between 110 and 112. So this is only about a decade or so after John was beheaded, you know, John, the one who cared for the mother of Jesus, right? Um, this is only about a decade after that, and he's in modern-day Turkey. This is not far from where Colossae is. That's why this is so significant, because here he is nearby. He's the governor of this area, and he, he writes this letter to the emperor. And here's the reason. You can go. You can look at the letter that's been translated. He's writing this letter because he talks about all these people who are Christians who are coming and they're living and he's trying to persecute them. And so he's asking them, hey, is Jesus Christ? And, and if they say yes more than two or three times, then he executes them. Because he doesn't know what to do with someone who's acknowledging someone else to be Christ rather than Caesar. Someone else to be Lord other than Caesar. He doesn't know what to do with this. And so he's writing this letter to the emperor. And so here's this guy. He's not a Christian. But what ends up happening, he, he begins talking about how many people are, are becoming Christians. And he talks about people, male, female, all these different people. It doesn't matter the age. All of these individuals are coming to know Christ. And so he's just persecuting them because he doesn't know what else to do to them to stop saying that something other than Caesar is Lord. Again, this is... This is this is the same area. This is what's taking place. Here's some of the words that uh, are translated. It says, and this is his letter to the emperor. It says, the sum and the substance of their fault or error has been that they would meet together before it was light to sing a hymn to Christ, to sing a hymn to Christ as to a God and to oblige themselves by taking an oath not to do anything that was ill but that they would commit to no theft, no pilfering, and no adultery. That they would not break their promises or deny anything that was given to them when it was required back again. Meaning they would pay their debts even. After which, it was their custom to depart from the singing and the worshiping. It was their custom to depart and to meet again at a common but innocent meal to fellowship with one another. 
Year 111, 112 is when this is written. And here's this guy who's the governor of this region, and he's writing to the emperor, and he says, hey, by the way, I don't know what to do with all these people claiming Christ as Lord, but here's what they have against them. They're choosing, and this, is, this looks different than the community, right? They're choosing to always meet together. They're choosing to, to no longer steal. They're choosing to no longer lie. They're choosing to no longer commit adultery. They're choosing to make sure they pay their debts. And so all I have to go on is if they say someone else is Lord, I execute them because I don't know what else to do. And he goes on to say, basically, it's because they're coming out of the woodworks and I don't know what else to do to take care of the problem. 111, 112, governor's writing this to the emperor. Why? Because they're living out what it is to put on the clothes of Christ, to put on God's grace. And as a result, they look so radically different, they don't even know what to do in response to it. I mean, really what he's saying over and over, they're influencing the entire culture. And so now the entire culture is not being influenced by the fact that Caesar is Lord. It's because Christ Jesus is Lord. What's going on? They were dressing for influence. They were dressing for influence. They knew that what they put on mattered. They were dressing for influence. They knew that what they wore mattered. And what you wear is a matter of what you have received from God. Last week, uh, my son, uh, I'll just call him out. He's not here in this service. Uh, Carson, he's 13, and he's at that place where he wants to look the right way, but he doesn't really care. And he had his dress socks on from the Sunday morning. It was Sunday evening, and he's going to come up here and shoot a little hoops before a youth group. And... Um, I looked in the eyes, like, I'll run you up there fine. He's got his shorts on and a t-shirt, and he left his Sunday dress socks on with his tennis shoes. Um, and I said, oh, son. He goes, what? You look homeless. <laughs> what are you talking about? Why don't you put on, like, normal socks for what you have on? Does it matter? They're still socks. I'll just get another pair dirty. You don't want me to wash as many clothes you say, so I'm trying to help out. I'm like, oh, he's for sale. Um, and so we had to go into this long spill where I said, hey, listen, what you wear does matter. It'll impact who you can influence. It'll impact the way you can influence others. And then I went into this biblical lesson. Like, it matters. And sometimes we don't think it matters that, well, I'm just going to have a little, it's just my socks. I'm going to have a little bit of anger still. I'm going to have a little bit of unforgiveness. I'm going to have a little bit of, of guilt. I'm going to have a little bit of wrath. I'm going to have a little mal. It's just my socks. Does it really matter? It matters. I looked at him. He's like, does it really matter? I'm like, yes, you look ridiculous. 
and we don't think it matters. But we need to dress for influence, to influence others to see our life and go, whoa, why aren't you still upset with them? Why are you, why are you not angry at them? Why are you forgiving them? Why are you loving them? Why, why do you have so much peace in your life? No matter how difficult things get, there's this calmness about you. Why is that? And you go, because I have been clothed in the name of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 is a beautiful parallel passage to this whole thing where it says to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, to give thanks always for everything to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful passage where it's now, here he is again, speaking the same thing, saying, listen, come together. It's why community is so important because we learned that their community was so intimate together, was so bonded together that they were, they were hungry for it, but they also recognized that they had to have it. That's why we push point groups so hard here. Get into a group because you need to, it, our point groups are not for you to come and talk about all your woes. Sharing your prayer concerns can be part of it, but it's about going, this is who Christ is, so who should we be? You know who they were? They were making oaths with God and to one another to no longer lie. (laughs) To no longer steal, to no longer have sexual immorality in their life. And as a result, the whole community is going, what's happening? And they had thanks that was just pouring out of them. And he's letting them know, do everything. Verse 17. Look at this as I just conclude here today. It says, and in whatever you do, this is after you're coming together and you're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and you're doing it with thankfulness coming out of your heart. And he says, and in whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way you work is for Jesus Christ. The way you speak is for Jesus Christ. Because you have been raised with Christ. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. You've been raised with Christ. So you're willing to put off all of these things. And now you're willing to put on all of these things. And it will rock the community. Dress for influence. Dress for influence. Dress for influence. They didn't even know what to do with them. I don't know what to do with them, so I just keep persecuting them and executing them. Why? Because... When you start putting on the clothes of Christ, those who choose not to will naturally say, oh, do you think you're better than me? (laughs) Because maybe they haven't had their hearts touched in a way to relinquish self for something far greater. Will you dress for influence? Will you dress for influence? God, I come before you and I thank you for the influence you've had in our life. 
I thank you that we have an opportunity to put you on and to take everything else off. And some of us, Lord, we are struggling to take off the anger and the malice and the sexual immorality and the hatred. Because some of us, maybe we don't really believe that that can be given up. And so God, for those people who are here today, I ask that they will truly receive who you are, that you would raise them in the name of Jesus Christ, and that you would allow them to put on your kindness and your gentleness and your love and your forgiveness, the peace of Christ. May you sit on them, O oh God. Let them be a new creature in Christ, a new creation. God, we need to understand how great you really are, how marvelous you really are. We need to understand what you've done for us and give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. So we get to.